Miami. Deep pattern downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, riding solo on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. And on today's show, we've got several categories to cover. We're going to go back into the schedule and talk about some quirks of this year's schedule for the Miami Dolphins. We're going to get to rookie minicamp, play some audio from the media press conferences over the weekend, and we're going to get to your questions on the Twitter mailbag. All of that and a whole bunch more on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And we covered the schedule very in-depth and broke down every single matchup on this year's schedule. Last week on the Wednesday night slash Thursday morning podcast, you can go back and check that out right now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. But that show, if you couldn't tell, was pre-recorded with the... Dolphins schedule and the placing of the games and the breakdowns all ready for you guys right at eight o'clock when the schedule came out. So I didn't have a chance to go look at buys beforehand or long weeks or short weeks or potential trap scenarios. So I want to go ahead and do that here on this podcast real quick to start things off. And then we'll get into rookie minicamp and then your questions on the mailbag. Early on, there's not much by way of potential look ahead games. I like to look at possible national television games before that are the opponents before they play Miami and after Miami for potential look ahead scenarios or let down hangover type games. But that's usually more of a in season type of situation. There are some things you can look at in the off season and have a bit of an idea. Like for instance, the first one I think that really stands out here is that the Buccaneers game that in week number five, they are at the Patriots the week before on Sunday night football and then have a short week after the game at home against Miami with the Eagles on Thursday night football. So you come from pretty much the marquee game on their schedule, you know, Brady back to Foxborough ahead of time, a week later, Miami, and then four days later, a short week. And if you guys recall on the podcast on Thursday, I talked about how the game before a short week typically doesn't go well for the team that has the four-day rest because for whatever reason, that's just how the numbers work out. So that's the first one that really stood out to me on the schedule. The Jaguars have a bye after they play Miami, of course, because of the London game. The Falcons have a bye before they play Miami, and so do the Bills in that Halloween game. And beyond that, there's really not much to look at. There's a few instances where the team that is playing against Miami in that particular week, the previous week is coming off a divisional game, which I guess can have some of that hangover potential, but of course that works both ways with the Dolphins in their post-Buffalo, New England, or Jet games the following week. The Colts in week four play the Titans prior to that in week number three. The Jags have the Titans as well uh, before the London trip when they come to play Miami. And then you also have the Giants facing the Eagles before the game in Miami. And the Saints have a Dolphins game sandwiched between the Bucks and Panthers two divisional games. So not really that much. It's crazy. We covered most of the quirks in the Thursday podcast last week. want to go ahead and mention here that I like the way the schedule starts off early with games against the Colts and Raiders because both those teams have significant turnover. So do the Patriots. Now that said, last year in the week one game, the Patriots un- unveiled that 
run-centric offense with wrinkles off the wrinkles off the wrinkles, and you kind of have to just adjust on the fly opposed to Week 15 when you had tape of their offense. A little bit easier when you have an idea of what that team's going to roll out, especially with that coaching staff. So some mixed reviews here and there in the first part of the schedule. I think I just absolutely love that chunk in the middle there in terms of home games and that stretch of not leaving Miami but one time to go to New York to play the Jets between Halloween and Christmas. That is a very fortuitous middle part of the schedule. And then, of course, I think this Brian Flores team always gets better as the season goes along. So a chance to make a nice run in December after that stretch of games in November, largely at home. We'll see how this team performs, if they can get off to a faster start. I think that's important this year. If you get to the Bucks game at 2-2 two and two or 3-1, and one, man, we could be cooking with gas at that point. But again, Every game is its own independent event, so we're going to see, and we'll have to wait to get to that. What we don't have to wait to get to is rookie minicamp, which occurred over the weekend, and I took down a few notes. We also had media availability for some of the players that were out there on the practice field, namely the draft picks and undrafted free agents in this year's class. And just based on the videos shared on social, as well as the B-roll that I tweeted out on Friday after practice, they got an up-close look at some of the players, namely the draft picks for your Miami Dolphins. And I think the first thing that we all saw that stood out in the Friday practice video was Jalen Waddle. And, you know, I'm going to talk about this, this technique here a lot on this podcast or with another player, Hunter Long, the rookie tight end, about stemming. And what stemming is, is when the defensive back is in off coverage, the receiver wants to attack directly at the defensive back so that he has the least amount of time possible to make a decision which way to flip his hips and which way that route's going to break off the top of the stem. And Waddle had a rep against a coach, of course, of all people, but he was in off coverage, but to the sideline, which is usually the sign for a zone turn and some type of zone coverage. And we're going to talk about this on the podcast on Friday about how speed can impact the offense. You saw it on this one rep he runs, even against a coach, because he runs a little curl route coming back to the quarterback. And man, he gets up to the top of the stem very quickly. And then it's ankle breaking from there, pivoting in that grass, some grass kicking up under his feet. But my goodness, he snapped that thing off and showed you the suddenness, shows you the class leading GPS metrics for Jalen Waddle. And my goodness, he looks healthy. He looks ready to go. I can't wait to watch that guy play football games for your Miami Dolphins. Jalen Phillips punching the bag from the knee position. We're going to play his audio on that in just one second, but getting out of that on your knees position and upward thrusting into the bag, man, he explodes through that thing. Strong lower half, strong upper half. He is physically, physically gifted. I also liked watching a little video clip of him playing both going forwards and backwards in coverage as well. So he'll have a variety of roles on this defense, I do believe. I talked about stemming and Hunter Long running routes in this camp. There was a great video where he did exactly what I talked about on his B. Film where he stems the cornerback, gets into his hip pocket, forces that late decision, and then throws an arm over move, which helps him gain leverage and get upfield, and then stack the defensive back from that point. He's a very crafty, nuanced route runner already at this early age. Then we get a look at Javon Holland on the Saturday podcast or Saturday video clip, I should say, where he's down in doing the hand fighting drills up against the bag and really putting in the effort to really showcase his ability as a possible run fitter, a guy that comes down in the box and makes some noise down there and hand fights with tight ends and gets into the mix and plays those C gaps off either the strong side or weak side. I think that's a big important deal for defensive backs in this defense. And I think he showed you the willingness just in those videos alone. Again, taking kind of a reach here to talk about this and break it down, but it's football and we're excited to talk about it. I also just liked, there was a close up of him showing him kind of 
pick through his progressions and the defense in terms of how he reads things. Active eyes. He's very studious and keeps his eyes, you know, moving around the formation, trying to find out what's going on as he processes information. And I think you saw that in his college tape with the smarts and the instincts that he played with. So just a few notes there on the videos we saw. Let's go ahead and play some media from Rookie Camp Weekend here as the guys met with the media for the second time now and some of these undrafted free agents for the very first time. And before we get to the individual comments, and we'll roll through these things pretty quickly because there's a lot of it, and you guys can find all of these videos in their entirety up on the Miami Dolphins YouTube channel. There was obviously a theme here with the rookies, team-first mindset. They're here to absorb as much knowledge as they can as they kind of go through fundamentals and technique and how to practice, how to walk through, how to be a Miami Dolphin under Brian Flores' vision, and of course, how do they help the team win? A lot of questions about which position are you going to play? What weight should you be at? What do you like in terms of this technique or this style? And the answers were always about helping the team win football games. Now, there were some good hidden gems in there, and those are the ones we're going to get to. I had a chance to ask a lot of these guys about on-field drills and how they apply to actual game day situations. Thought I got some great answers there. And the final takeaway is that these guys, they're definitely very, very coachable. We'll go ahead and start here with Jalen Waddle, Dolphins' first pick. In this year's draft. And first, before we do that, we do have official contract signings. Jalen Waddle, the first in the top 10 to sign his rookie contract. We also had Larnell Coleman and Jared Dokes agree to terms with the Miami Dolphins over the weekend. And four undrafted players, Jerome Johnson, Carl Tucker, as well as Robert Jones and Jaitlin Askew, the DB out of Georgia Tech. Let's go ahead and get now to Waddle's presser. And the first question I wanted to cover was one that I asked him about what he learned under Steve Sarkeesian in terms of his final year at Alabama as he kind of extended his route tree and became responsible for more in that Bama offense those first four games as he was producing at an unreal clip. And he said he thought that it showcased a lot of ability that maybe was in question coming into his last season there at Alabama. He thought he showcased his route running ability as well as showcasing his talent. He also talked about first impressions of his teammates and how everybody had the same team first mentality and team first goal and how he likes that everybody in the organization is real personable. He said you can go up and talk to coaches and they're willing to coach you. All the things you look for in a good organization, a good club is pretty much here, he said. He was asked about quarterback Tua Tungavailoa, his former teammate at Alabama and now current teammate again in Miami. As this year's first round pick out of Alabama to Miami was asked about last year's first round pick and the leadership of Tua Tungavailoa. A natural born leader, he's confident, um, knows what to do, very smart, everything you look for in a leader. Um, I feel like Tua, you know, showcases and presents. So that was the question about the quarterback. He was also asked about his mindset growing up and how it produced this ultimately very humble kid who has produced big time at the biggest stages of college football, but you won't hear him chirping, you won't hear him talking, you don't see a diva in this receiver. Here is Jalen talking about how he developed that mindset and that attitude. Just know where I came from, um, you know, uh, my mom, my parents, uh, my teammates, and everyone that helped me get to this point, um, uh, really just keep, keep me humble and don't everything that I had to, you know, do to get to this point, no time to, you know, be, you know, complacent or no time to be complacent is right. The right mindset as he comes into the NFL is the sixth pick in the draft, but he's not anywhere close to being done yet. Let's pick this up with tight end Hunter Long, who 
answered the same question I asked him on draft night about playing in two different offenses, a run-heavy offense and a pass-heavy offense in Boston College with coaching changes. Again, said the same thing, talking about how he got the best of both worlds, working both in the run game and the passing game. But then we jumped ahead to a question I asked him about, one, are you still wearing hoodies in South Florida? But also, what did you learn this weekend in your first rookie minicamp, getting to know the guys and the jump from college academia when it comes to football to what you have to learn in the classroom at the National Football League level? Uh, to answer your first question, uh, I did not learn, honestly, traveling down here. It was like 45 degrees when I left Boston, uh, and, and I, I didn't learn. I started sweating instantly. Uh, and then to answer your second question, um, I'm just trying to put in put in as much time as I can into the playbook and, and taking as much information as I can and uh, kind of c- catch up to the older guys as best as possible. So just as much time as possible I, I, I can put into the playbook I, I'm going to do. And like I mentioned, that was kind of the theme of the day for the rookies, talking about putting their nose down, keeping their head in the playbook, and just keeping to the grindstone. Let's go ahead and jump now to an undrafted free agent in fullback Carl Tucker out of Alabama. He played some tight end, some H-back, some fullback, also played receiver, he told us, initially in college. He was a fun interview. And he was first asked about the move from North Carolina to Alabama, where he came to UNC as a receiver, and then Bama took him from the tight end position that he moved to from receiver and made him more of a fullback, H-back, tight end. But he talked about his versatility and the role he played there in Tuscaloosa. They told me exactly what I was going to do. Um, I had plans on you know, being their extra blocker, being the extra fullback. Um, and I just... I took that chance because I knew that that would better my opportunity and that would uh, bring growth to my uh, versatility. So that's the reason I wanted to play that was because that last sentence there where he talked about the opportunity of growing his versatility, which of course gave him a better chance at the National Football League. So I came back and asked him a couple questions later about kind of the mindset of going from receiver to playing inside and being a blocker because you see this guy on tape at Alabama, he's throwing people to the ground, he's playing physical, violent, aggressive football. So I asked him about that and all the takedowns he had on tape. Here's Carl Tucker talking about the mindset of moving inside as a former receiver who now plays tight end slash fullback slash H-back. It, it absolutely grew on me. Uh, starting off at Chapel Hill, I uh, came in as a receiver. Uh, well, I was I played receiver in high school, and I came in playing tight end. Um, at that point, I've never played tight end in my life. Um, so I was coached by one of the hardest coaches probably at the time was uh, Coach Seth Luttrell. Um, he was a fullback at Oklahoma. And uh, he was a hard-nosed, uh, heavy, heavy-hitting guy. So he would definitely get on your ass if if you weren't, you know, doing what you're supposed to do, if you weren't physical enough. He'd definitely call you out in front of everybody. And uh, I remember just the day that changed, it was when he just got on me the whole meeting. Um, so I just told myself I'd never be soft ever again. <laughs> and you heard me laugh there at the end of the conversation there with uh... – with Carl Tucker. He was a great interview, like I mentioned. Let's go ahead and jump ahead now to Larnell Coleman, Dolphin seventh round draft pick, who was asked about the expectation Brian Flores relayed to the rookies this weekend as they get their first taste of professional football. He told us that, like, this is a real learning weekend. You know, make sure, you know, you're really in your playbook, and especially getting used to the weather down here and everything, you know, just making sure that, you know, we come out of this weekend healthy and that we come out better in terms of, you know, just uh, knowing the playbook and everything. So that's really what it was. 
So those are the Friday interviews we had with Larnell Coleman, Jalen Waddle, Hunter Long, and Carl Tucker. I did not play any sound from Jared Dokes or from Jalen Askew on this podcast, but if you guys want to check that out on YouTube, you can go find those. We'll go ahead and finish up today with Jalen Phillips, as well as Javon Holland and Liam Eichenberg who, along with Robert Jones and Jerome Johnson, met with the media on Saturday. Let's go ahead and start here with Jalen Phillips. And the question I had for Jalen regarding that great video social media put up of him working the bag, exploding from the knees, and kind of getting that hip drive in the midsection and the arms and the shoulders, all of it working in one on those pads. I asked him to go ahead and tell us about the translation of that drill into game day. Here's Phillips' answer on my question. Uh, that's that's a six-point drill, uh, and that's just kind of like the perennial D-line drill. Like that's explosion out of your hips uh, and really focusing on quick hands. Uh, and just like hands where you're looking uh, and just like I said uh, just getting explosive and that's kind of just the base of every movement when you're a D lineman so and then I came back a few questions later and asked Jalen the difference between playing with your hand in the dirt in a three-point stance versus a two-point stance because you watch his tape at Miami does a little bit of both of those here's Jalen talking about the differences in a three-point stance and a two-point stance off the edge um, it's, it's really like, you know, sometimes when you're standing up, it's more advantageous being able to see everything, like kind of take a snapshot of what's going on. And then when you're in a three point, obviously you're having more leverage because you're coming low to high. Um, but yeah, having played both, I'm definitely comfortable doing whatever I need to do. Um, but that's, yeah, that's just kind of the, the basics of, you know, football one-on-one. And if you can't tell a theme in my questions for these guys, I was really trying to utilize the advantage we have of watching them go through drills and kind of educate us on football because I want to learn from these guys what these drills mean and how they translate to game day situations. So I asked Javon Hall on the exact same thing because defensive backs and especially safeties in this defense have to get up on the line of scrimmage and they have to get physical and they have to get engaged with bigger offensive linemen. And so Javon Holland, I asked him about the hand fighting drill because there was a clip on social of him doing that. Here he is talking about doing that, but just being a well-rounded defensive back who's going to do what the coaches ask of him, no questions asked. Uh, I think it's important to be as well-rounded as possible uh, and absorb as much knowledge as possible, like I've previously said in the previous questions, of course. But uh, just trying to get, um, you know, as wide as perspective as possible as a player, I'm, you know, new to a team, uh, finding, trying to find my role. So um, really trying to absorb everything, like I said previously, and um, really just help the team in any way. And so we come back with a similar question here for Liam Eichenberg, who had mentioned in his post-draft presser that he worked with Coach Lemuel Jean-Pierre, New Dolphins offensive line coach back at the Senior Bowl and some of the workout stuff there up at Notre Dame's Pro Day. And I asked him about the difference between working out with Coach then versus working out with him now that he has the aqua and orange on. And first I had to ask him because he showed up at the press conference with a fresh new buzz cut. And he said that's something he does every year in football, kind of a fresh restart. And then he was asked later in a follow-up question about it. He points his head down and goes, I also do it because if you can't notice, I'm going bald, which was a fun moment of the presser, good and lighthearted. And then we got back to the football and that question about Coach Lemuel Jean-Pierre. I mean, it's he's, he's a very consistent coach. So, I mean, everything he preached at Pro Day, he preaches now. It's not like he showed up at Pro Day and did something different. Um, you know, it's about getting your hands inside, you know, setting to your position, being in a good position and, you know, kind of using his technique to, you know, win every single rep. And I want to go ahead and finish up here with undrafted rookie along the offensive line out of Middle Tennessee State, Robert Jones, because he was asked about 
the decision to sign with Miami as a UDFA after the draft, kind of getting over the initial disappointment of not being drafted and why he chose Miami. I thought his answer was very interesting about the Dolphins coaching staff and their investment in making these players better. Um, you know, I wasn't disappointed at the end of the day. I just wanted you know opportunity to get to this level and just play football. You know, I was blessed the opportunity to, you know, come here and compete. And, you know, I chose the Dolphins just because, you know, I just feel like, you know, the coaching staff, because I did work with them at the Senior Bowl, I just feel like that coaching staff, you know, wanted the best out of every player, even if, even if they was going to different teams or not. So I thought they had my best interest at heart. So he talked a little bit about that and about the mode of practice and working with the Dolphins at the Senior Bowl and how much he kind of was attracted to the culture and the fit and the philosophy here in Miami. So good stuff. All of these pressers, again, available up on our YouTube channel, Miami Dolphins YouTube channel. Go to the videos link and you'll find all of these for some of the questions we didn't cover here and some of the players' pressers we didn't cover as well. A couple of undrafted guys. We didn't get to their media availabilities, but you can find those up on YouTube. All right, let's go ahead and pivot now to the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill by now. I put the call out on Twitter for your questions. You give me answers. We talk about anything and everything from football to pop culture to life to being a father. Whatever it is you want to know, I've got answers. We've got 46 questions here in the mailbag. going to do my best to get to as many of them as we can. And I'm going to go ahead and take a sacrifice bunt on the first question here from Joe Barrett, who's at Joe Barrett 14 on Twitter. Appreciate the question, Joe. He asks, who do I think will be the opening day offensive line from left to right? The starters up front. We're going to cover that on the podcast on Wednesday with Rashad Butler. We talk all things offensive line with a former eight-year NFL vet at the position. So go ahead and tune in Wednesday, Joe. I don't want to spoil it and give it away just yet. Next question here from at Ramfin831 on Twitter. It's officially week one. What do you think the game plan is going to be for the Patriots with their new weapons? The key to me is going to be handling the wrinkles of the Patriots run game, especially with the quarterback stuff, with the quarterback power, quarterback lead, quarterback draw, whatever it was last year. Cam Newton, to me, was the biggest problem. And then the runs they had off of that with Sony Michelle or James White or Damian Harris, whoever it might have been, they gave themselves short down and distance. They shortened the game and ate into our possessions on the offensive side of the ball. And then if you go back to the game in Week 15, you notice that the Patriots are in more third and long situations and the Dolphins then are able to get to their pressure packages, heat up Cam Newton, and you saw some inaccurate throws or some mistiming or some miscalculations in terms of the footwork, where the route was supposed to be, the sight adjustments, all that fun stuff. So to me, the game plan is to kind of load up early and trust your man-to-man coverage on the back end. Trust that you can win with Xavier Howard on Kendrick Bourne or Byron Jones on Nelson Aguilar, whoever it might be. Get your one-on-one matchups, load up the box, stop that run game, keep them in third long, and get those pressure packages going. Once you do that, if you can take away the Patriots early down run success, I like your chances at that point. Next question here from Justin Oldfield at JDOFSU on Twitter. With the recent news that the Dolphins were next in line for on Johnson, if Philly did not put the claim in, who do you expect or want the Dolphins to fill out the, or to target to fill out the running back room? As he mentions, he doesn't believe the Dolphins will go into the season with what they currently have in-house. If that's the case, and you know, going back to the Peter King article, 28 trades in 28 months. We've also seen this Dolphins team be very, very active around cutdown day. Now, obviously 2019, that was kind of a given based upon the construction of the roster. Last year, they were still very active as well, picking up guys, bringing in pieces that contributed. Now, you go back to think about Vince Beagle 
Eagle, who was picked up at that time of the year, and he came in and made a big contribution in 2019. I could definitely see Miami scouring the waiver wire. That's just what they do. I can see them scouring the trade market and finding out what of those maybe future mid-round extra draft picks they might have to give up if they are so inclined to find a tailback they think fits in that way. But I also wouldn't rule out the possibility of it being Gaskin, Ahmed, and Malcolm Brown with Jared Dokes and the rest of the guys having a chance to compete for time as well because of what we talked about you know, throughout Twitter, and I'll have it on this podcast later this week as well, I believe on Friday's episode talking about the speed breakdown of the offense and how that creates space because in the NFL today, you are more worried about 40-yard completions that go for touchdowns over the top of your head than you are four-yard runs that, you know, they are they can wear you down, but they're not going to beat you in the moment. So teams are going to be more willing to defend the deep part of the field. Brian Flores and Chris Greer have talked about that plenty. And because of the added speed on offense and the construction of the offense in terms of the spacing and stretching out both vertically and horizontally, that could conceivably keep two safeties out of the box, two high safety looks. And then from there, the running game is all about numbers, man. If you get the running numbers advantage in your count, you switch to that run, you block them up, head up, and you get your yards they're going to give you. Otherwise, you know, you check it back and you go to a pass because that's more open and more free to make things happen. So I think the expectation that the Dolphins are better on the offensive line, they're better at the perimeter positions, and they should get better quarterback play this year, you'd think, in year number two of Tua Tungabailoa. I think all of those things cumulatively make for a better running game. I think Brian Flores and Chris Greer think similarly. But I also don't count them out from going out and looking and scouring to see what's out there because they are going to do everything they can to improve this roster every single day. How about this one from Patrick Perkins at 518 Perkins? Travis, would you rather be the smartest Morty or the dumbest Rick? For you that are not familiar, Rick and Morty is a great animated show, a comedy and, and really just genius type of show on Cartoon Network Adult Swim. I would go with the dumbest Rick because the dumbest Rick was the one that was hanging out with Jerry in that one episode. And I mean, he was dumb, but he was a good guy to hang out with. He was nice. He made Jerry feel special, which nobody else in the show does. So at least the dumbest Rick, although he's not very bright, is very compassionate and a good guy. Whereas the smartest Morty was evil Morty, who wanted to take over the Citadel of Ricks. So give me the compassionate, kind, likable person more so than the evil Morty. Next question here from at Rakeo one on Twitter. What is the official word on how the OC job will work with the co-offensive coordinators in Studisville and Godsey? And what do you think are some alternatives on how it will work, including play calling responsibilities? Thank you. Well, thank you for the question. As far as the split responsibilities, like the number one thing here I'd answer is that both Godsey and Studisville have been in the National Football League for like two decades. So I don't think you have to worry about ego or position or, you know, status and that type of thing. I think this was all conceived with the idea that collaboration was always going to be the philosophy and the approach. And also just remember this, like every team, at least most teams, and especially in college that split their co- their coordinators in two, most teams in the NFL have run game coordinators and pass game coordinators. And that's what those guys' jobs were last year. So they still coach their same rooms. Godsey, the tight ends room. He also was the passing game coordinator. And then Studentsville has the running backs room and is the running games coordinator. So really, essentially, those guys file reports to Chan Gailey last year and they collaboratively come up with the offense. This year, you just cut out that middleman. And now those two guys will collaborate together with Brian Flores and the entire offensive staff. So I think that titles and the concern about, you know, who might have play calling responsibilities. Like they're going to hash this stuff out. They're going to collaborate. They're going to come up with their best plan. It's not going to be, we get to Sunday and just wing it and say, all right, here we go. Who has the best play call? Or I didn't agree with coach Studisville, So I'm going to call this instead. Like 
It's going to be everybody on the same page. I mean, just again, like Coach Flores and this operation, do you think they would really put something in place that was like so detrimentally obviously going to fail? Like just consider the fact that that's kind of what they've done all along. Collaboration, the same thing going forward. Here's a question from Eduardo Rivera at E underscore Rivera Peffin. P oh, PFN, sorry. What do you think are chances the chances that DVP or Preston Williams are let go or traded due to all the bodies at the receiver position? Well, definitely the deepest position on the roster right now after the offseason, in my opinion. What I like about the composition of the receiver room is that you are like too deep in every skill set you have, right? So like the explosive, twitchy, 4-3 speed vertical guy, Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle. Obviously, you want both those guys ideally together, but if one goes down, you still have the other one to fulfill that role. Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, both kind of similar in terms of their stature and their ability to make contested catches, to go back shoulder, but also have some vertical 50-50 ball skills as well. So too deep in that regard. Lynn Bowden and Albert Wilson, kind of that twitchy, not the long speed, but more in that phone booth type of make you miss. Big, uh, big thick lower half in terms of the way they're built and how they break tackles too deep in that way. So I think you have so many options. I'm so intrigued to see what happens at the position because I don't know, like Devontae Parker, he's, his contract right now is so team friendly that you're just not going to sign a, in my opinion, a top level number two receiver like DVP can be and, and has been. You're not going to get a receiver of that caliber on that contract. So to me, he's way more valuable in Miami than like a third or fourth round draft pick. Preston Williams, obviously cheap on the undrafted rookie contract, hasn't been able to finish a season his first two seasons. So maybe if you get an offer, you consider it. But I think I look at this receiver position as ultimately so deep that you're not going to run into what you had last year where you're down to guys that are primarily special teamers having to step in and give you 30 or 40 snaps a game. I like being too deep in all my skill sets and all my positions. And I kind of feel like Miami's roster across the board is kind of like that. Next question here from Jay Soto at Dolphin underscore for life. What do you miss most about the West Coast? Um, I liked watching the Mariners at 7 p.m. at night. I uh, also, here's a good one for you. So I think I was kind of in denial for a long time about the heat and humidity of South Florida. And I was trying to convince my wife, it's not that bad. You'll be fine. It sucks. <laughs> like the June, July, August months, even right now it's May. It's hot, man. Like I went to go get a coffee today from Starbucks and like you sweat in your car, like when you're starting it and stuff. I don't love that. I miss the cooler weather, although it does get hot back where I'm from in the summertime because I live in the desert in eastern Washington. But I do miss that. I miss the timing of like sporting events and stuff like that as well. I also just miss the people that I'm used to, like my friends that are, I grew up with my whole life. The area I lived in was so kind of clicky and and small that you basically had your one group of friends. You didn't venture outside of that. So I built lifelong relationships. I miss those. I miss my brother and his kids, my, my nephew and my niece as well. So just some of the things that, you know, you can't bring with you. I miss those things the most and definitely going to marriage games too. I really want to get out to Safeco field here or T-Mobile park sometime this summer. Next question here. Actually, let's go two questions because this one comes in from at MD by water. He asks, can I buy you a pint in London? 100%. I really hope that we get to be a part of the travel crew this year and I get to come out and meet Dolphins fans. Like I can't wait to see every Dolphins fan in every city across the globe. So absolutely. And I'll buy the second round. Tyler Woodward at the underscore best underscore Tyler. If you could pick one Dolphins home game and one road game to go to this year, which games would you pick and why? Well, all 17. Tyler, that's what I want to go to. But the one home game, I would have to say, I think that Buffalo week two game, because I just want to see how Miami has 
reshaped this roster to go ahead and attack the division, the reigning division champion here in the AFC East. We know Josh Allen, the offense they produce is just, it's difficult to stop. I want to see how close Miami has closed that gap in terms of week two last year and week 17 last year. So give me a Buffalo at home with Baltimore a close second. I want to see TNF Thursday night football national TV against a tough, tough Baltimore team. The road game I'd want to see is either going to be Nashville with the Titans or New Orleans with the Saints because I think both those games are going to have playoff implications on both sides of the ledger. And of course, the Big Easy is a cool town, I've heard. Uh, Nashville, you can't top that either. I've never been to either of those cities, so I wouldn't mind checking those out and seeing the, the Superdome, seeing that good Saints team, and seeing Ryan Tannehill on the road against these Miami Dolphins. Next question here from Sean at JZUCF03 on Twitter. Who do you think returns punts and kicks this season? I'm going to go with Jalen Waddle because I think he's just the best on the roster at it. Obviously, Jakeem Grant was a second-team All-Pro last year, I believe, in that position. But I think that Waddle's allure part of that is that he is a four-down player and just instant electricity, instant offense, and very sure hands back there as a return man. Matt Randolph at OLRando42 on Twitter wants to know, what's the deal with Ledbetter at defensive end? I remember he had a pretty good camp two years ago, then got hurt early, thought he retired. Any story or update on him? He is still on the roster. He had a medical, I believe was IR'd that first year, and then something similar happened last year, if I recall correctly, but he is currently on the roster. I agree with you. He started that opening game against Baltimore. I know it wasn't a good one, but I thought he had some good taper. He was controlling the edge and playing the run and getting after the quarterback. I think he even got a sack in that game coming off of a very good camp, like you had mentioned. So I think he fits the prototype for that position here in Miami. Just got to find out if he's healthy, he could get back on the field and see what he can do. But yeah, he's still here. Next question here from Chris Lorando at extortion on Twitter. Longtime fan of the podcast. Chris, what's up, man? Thank you so much for your support. You may not know this, but any word about training camp allowing fans? I will probably try to visit my mom down there. So wondering if I can double dip. Either way, wouldn't mind linking up for a bang energy drink or a beer. I am on coffee now too. So I'm kind of doing the whole gamut with the caffeine. But I do believe that is the plan, at least initially. And I'm, you know, the great news across the league the other day was that they're no longer for, uh, requiring players that have had vaccines or coaches that have had vaccines to wear masks in the facility. So hopefully that's a good sign going forward. Just continue to be vigilant and kick this virus's ass. And let's get on the other side of that thing so we can all come together and watch the Dolphins practice in August. I missed it so bad last year. I hope, Chris, that's the case this year, but I'm not 100% sure on that just yet. Another question kind of familiar to that one, David Ingleson at David underscore Ingleson. Do you have any update as to when the new facility will be fully operational? I think it's supposed to be by training camp at the latest, so I believe that's the plan so far, but that's as much update as I have for you right now, David. Next question here from Jack Dixon at JCC Dixon 33 on Twitter. What will this team's identity be? Are we recreating the Alabama offense? Can you give comparables to offense and defense? Well, defensively, it's difficult to to really compare anybody. Obviously, you go back to the Patriots when Coach Flo was there and the defenses they put together, but they do also, you know, have a lot of variations based upon their personnel, and that's what the identity is. Like, I know you don't want to hear this kind of tired cliche of they're going to adapt to their strengths and they're going to play to their team strengths and they're going to attack the opposing team's weaknesses and adapt every single week. But it's, it's genuinely true here, man. That's why so many of these guys have different positions. That's why I never call anybody a cornerback or a safety or a tackle or a guard or a defensive tackle or a defensive end. You're just DL, DB, and OL because you're going to play multiple spots. You're going to cross train. You're going to be versatile so that we can be flexible in how we attack opposing offenses and defenses. With regards to the offense, I think they're going to pull from 
multiple concepts. They're going to definitely try to get some of the RPO game going, definitely get some of the vertical passing game going, maybe four verts. I think it was either Lane Kiffin or Steve Sharkeesian who said that uh, Tua Tungavailoa is one of the best four verts quarterbacks that he's ever seen. So that definitely bodes well. Definitely want to establish that running game mentality. We'll see if the fullback, Carl Tucker, makes the roster. If a fullback's on the roster in general, because we know that Coach Flores believes that defending a fullback is a difficult aspect of the running game, and we know he wants to run the ball. So tough, smart, physical, team first, adaptable each and every week. That's kind of the mindset this team wants to be. And I think when it comes to playing sturdy defense that creates turnovers and plays more of a bend but don't break, but a capital on mistakes and then offensively be an explosive offense that's balanced both in the run game and the passing game with far more opportunities and ability to get vertical this season. Next question from Sorty at Fins or Die. Do you put ketchup on your cheesesteaks? No, I do not, which is, I guess, kind of an outlier for me because I am a ketchup fiend. Now, I don't put it on steak. I'm not crazy. I don't even add it to like mac and cheese, but when it comes to burgers or french fries or hot dogs even, give me all the ketchup, man. I have a, a motto in life that french fries are just shovels for ketchup, but keep it away from the cheesesteak. No way, man. Next one here from Aquaman1971 at Greg Quee, and then a bunch of uh, numbers. How do I break into writing for the Dolphins with any media outlet? Number one tip I would tell you is to write every single day, whether it's getting published, whether you're the only one that sees it, write every day because the only way you improve your craft is to do it and to do it with a purpose in terms of I'm going to improve and get better at this. Like when I started writing out, man, I, I was terrible. I was a horrible writer. And even now, like going back to things I wrote two years ago, I look at that like, Ugh, I did that. So just do it every day to improve and, and publish it on your own blog site or whatever it might be. And the better you get, the more recognition you'll get. And then you'll have a chance to maybe make a move to a outlet and then continue to climb the ranks that way. Just work your ass off, man. That's the best way you can do it. This next one here from at Tua to Waddle 305. That's a great handle. What player do you think is going to have his breakout season? Well, I think the obvious answer there is Tua Tungavailoa. So I'll go ahead and go away from that. And I'm going to predict... I'm going to say Will Fuller. I guess he had his breakout last year, which was interrupted by the suspension that he endured. But when I watch him on tape, I think this guy has every bit the making of a true number one receiver in terms of he can get open on third down in the red zone, double coverage, has the full route tree, can get vertical. I think this guy is about to just explode in this system, in this offense, with this quarterback, with his mindset, with his work habits. You go on Instagram, watch all his workout stuff. Like He's put in the work to make sure his body is right physically. Did it last year. If you can do it this year, I expect him to have a monster season with big yards, big touchdowns, and big receptions. He's a good, good football player who I think is being overlooked a little bit. Next question here from at Groundworks with a Z on Twitter. What's your way too early prediction for the 49ers record? Well, there's a couple things that work for us, you know, rooting against the Niners because we have their next first round draft picks in each of the two next two seasons. The couple of things is that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch had that one great run that one season, and that was their only winning record. I mean, they've had injury problems that have just plagued that team for years. They play in a very difficult division, the best in the NFL, in my opinion, in the NFC West. So there's six games right there with the Rams, Cardinals, and Seahawks that really they're going to have to fight and claw to win. There's like no cupcakes in that division. The NFC, I think, is pretty deep as well. So, you know, I would probably say nine or 10 wins right now just because of the tough division, the tough schedule. Hopefully that keeps them out of the playoffs and keeps Miami in the top 20 with that draft pick. But I think there's just so much talent there. They're so well coached. And if they get Trey Lance up to speed quickly, I mean, they could go as far as the Super Bowl. So I'm going to say right now, 10 and seven is my way too early Niners prediction. Next question here from Luke at Luke underscore Cheney four. What's your favorite struggle meal? Well, 
the one thing I treat myself with at the end of days, and I'm kind of the type of person that like, you know, you put in all the work and you work out and you go through everything that gets you up from 8 a.m. all the way until 6 or 7 p.m. when you're finally done for the night is my Dairy Queen Blizzards, the Chocolate Brownie Extreme. I could eat one of those every single day and be okay. I absolutely love it. I'm a sucker for it. As far as like actual meal meal, give me Chick-fil-A, DoorDash, come to the door, drop it on my doorstep, and let me just put down the, the deluxe sandwich with no tomatoes, no pickles. Give me the waffle fries and give me the three-piece meal with some Diet Coke to go with that. Plenty of ketchup for the fries, plenty of barbecue sauce for the, uh, the tenders, and the Chick-fil-A sauce for the sandwich. Next question here from at Finsman Coverage. What's your favorite Quentin Tarantino movie? Give me Django Unchained. I absolutely love that movie from Christopher Waltz to Jamie Foxx, who is, in my opinion, like the most talented man on the face of the earth. And of course, Leonardo DiCaprio, some of the great gifs and memes that have come out of that. Missy L. Candy. I love that film. What a great movie. But Tarantino is just the best in general. Makes so many good movies. Inglorious Bastards, a close runner up to Django Unchained. All right, I think that's a good spot to go ahead and button up this podcast. If I did not get to your question, please put it in the next mailbag that we do so I can go ahead and get to it. And if you want to get a direct line to the mailbag, we're going to do more of these questions going forward. If you want to get answered, put it in the reviews on Apple iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Put your question in there, and I'll go ahead and answer on the podcast as we go along. We don't have to have it specifically on the mailbag podcast, but if you give us that review, I will make sure to go through and answer those questions on the podcast no matter what it is. So please do that for us. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast. Follow me on Twitter at WinkfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Subscribe, rate, review the podcast. Check out MiamiDolphins.com. All the rookie profiles still up on the website up there. We're going to have Rashad Butler on the podcast on Wednesday, breaking down all things Dolphins offensive line. And then Henry Hodgson from NFL, he's going to join us on Friday talking about the London trip, best places to stay in London, the tailgate, the pregame, all that fun stuff. And we're going to talk some Dolphins football too from a diehard, diehard Dolphins fan. Plenty of great content coming your way this offseason, this summer, covering this team, leading right up into training camp, into the preseason, and into the season. As for my time, that's going to be my time. Until next time, fins up.